When we were last together, last Sunday, we were talking about how God pulled the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and how through the course of time led them through various calamities and various issues that they were facing, that they were struggling with, whether it was water or whether they didn't have enough food to eat or whether they weren't feeling like they were protected or they didn't know where to go. All the way along, God was with them. And then this week happened. Some will know, over the course of the last three weeks, this congregation has dealt with grief. Some of our families have lost their dads, the Hitchcocks. And then there's the Priddles, uh, with Elizabeth losing her dad. And then our congregation more intimately lost a member of our congregation, Charlotte Jones. And we, as a congregation, have been working through that. I don't know whether you recognize or not, but when we deal with grief, grief is a compounding thing. Not only are we dealing with the grief that we feel right now, and maybe for you there were other things that have happened in your life that produced this sense of grief and sorrow. And at times it's almost unimaginable how to even explain it other than it just feels heavy. That's part of the cost of loving and caring for one another and being cared for and loved upon. And then if you certainly are part of this congregation, on Wednesday we heard more devastating news when um, a family from our congregation, the DeGrosiers, um, heard that their daughter, who is to turn 27 this uh, coming week, on, our, in, on April the 5th, um, was involved in a serious car accident, and her life was taken. The DeGrosiers family, we've known, many of you have known, I've only been here 12 years, but many of you have known uh, this family and, and the kids uh, Daniel and Christine, you've known them since they've just been babies or even before they were babies. You've known this family. And so as we come together this morning, we come together with this over, overall sense of uh, grief and sorrow. But we come together this morning focusing on God's word, the same God that was able to lead the children of Israel out of a devastating situation as they were in slavery in Egypt, and he brings them along and brings them into something new. The passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning, it's interesting, um, because of circumstances, uh, was delayed and was not able here to speak, and I should have been preaching on this last week. This is the passage for today. And some of you immediately will recognize the, this, this um, section of Scripture, Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you're in the, um, the, the Bible app U version, um, you can follow along with notes there. But it's a passage of Scripture that talks about a future. It gives us a sense of hope. And some of us need that today, maybe more than ever. 
maybe not just because of the circumstances that we as a family feel here today, acutely, but for all kinds of reasons, for things that maybe you feel already. Listen to the word of God from Ezekiel 37 as it speaks to your heart. Just want to give you this as a heads up. At the close of the service this morning, you'll be given lots of time if you just want to come in to pray about situations that you're facing. But here's the word of God. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, says Ezekiel, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. There was a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord said, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up their feet. It was a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the, the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. Father, this is your word. It's, it's not just your word that would breathe life literally into the children of Israel in a time when they felt rejected and dejected. But it's a word for us today. So help us to hear it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just reminded of this. Wednesday, after receiving a text fairly early from um, someone that had mentioned about what had happened with Christine, it was important for some of the pastoral staff, Pastor Linda and myself, just to, to meet with uh, the ladies' Bible study. There's various ages in there. I tell you what a blessing. What a blessing it is to have these family units of people that come around you during the times of, your, times of whatever you're going through. And I just, as I looked out on these ladies and as they began to pray, I felt like 
I was among some very special people, these mamas and these grandmas that were praying for these dear people. How important it is for us to be, you know, in times like that, to be part of a family. And just want to encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, just throw that plug in there shamelessly. If you're not part of one, it's just so important during times like this. This church is fairly large. Can't really comfort and care for everyone in the way that we'd like to, but a small group can do that. You know, as we take a look at this famous vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones, it, it seems more like an Easter message than it does a message for Lent. I mean, if the text stays with the Valley of the Dry Bones, you could really see how that would line up with Lent, that the time of us introspective, this looking at these bleached out bones and how they weren't coming back to life. But as you follow down through the passage, you'll notice that it moves towards something more glorious. It moves more towards a, a frame of resurrection and maybe more of, a, maybe of an Easter theme. And you could, from this passage, this passage um, out of the lectionary would often be preached during time of Pentecost, the breathing of God into the church and giving birth to the church. So this passage could be spoken at various times. I think this, this note, this tone of hope is what we need in the darkness of Lent as we approach the cross and the tomb. The utter hopelessness of Israel in this text mirrors our despair, our despair. If we have taken time during Lent to think about our own fallenness, our own sinfulness, and the more that we look at our sin and our journey of Jesus to the cross for our sin, Jesus goes to the cross to die for you and to die for me. The more that we'll say with Israel, as we think upon that, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're utterly cut off. This text has context. It was a very dark time for Israel. It's been a long time in Israel's history since they've ever had good times. There's been no dancing. There's been no singing. They have sunk low. Ezekiel prophesied during the last days of Judah and Jerusalem and on into the exile. Here's a few things that we want to look at this morning. Ezekiel himself was exiled to Babylon in 597 B.C. In the first wave of the Judean deportees. And for the next 11 years, he would deliver a message of gloom and doom to Judah. If you want to spend time just studying the Bible? Read Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 24. Chapter 1 and 24. 224. And you'll see this message that he's delivering this gloom and doom to Judah. And then to the surrounding nations. He does that in Ezekiel 25 to chapter 32. Then in 586, 11 years after he's deported, Jerusalem falls. The temple was burned to the ground. A second round of Judeans are taken from their place and they're exiled to Babylon. They're carted off there. And the Davidic monarchy comes to an end. It's finished. It's all dried up. It's as good as if we were done. 
And once news reached the exiles in Babylon that Jerusalem has fallen, the temple is destroyed, Ezekiel begins to prophesy hope. He prophesies restoration and a glorious future as the redeemed and the perfected kingdom of God comes to be in the world. And that's chapters 33 to 48. The story of Ezekiel from beginning to end through to 48. Our text this morning from Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14 is perhaps the pinnacle prophecy of hope to a hopeless world. It's certainly the most memorable word of hope because it is a vivid imagery. Can't get this imagery out of our head. And to understand it, you need to put yourself in his place. Their world had come to an end as they had known it. They were prisoners. Everything that they had trusted, everything that they had given their life to, that had shaped them, that had given them meaning, gave them a reason to get up in the morning and to get going. That motivation, the lands, the homes, the property, the holy city, the holy temple, and most importantly, their holy God, it felt like they were gone. Their God, in their mind, had been defeated by the gods of the Babylonians. Could it be they wondered whether God is interested at all in me? How is it that God could allow this to happen? I thought God loves us. How is it that he would allow his people to be carted off and deported to this foreign land, these heathens? We hear the despair in verse 11. They say it, and sometimes we feel it. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. You may have said it a different way, but sometimes in our lives we feel this, don't we? Maybe over the course of the last three years, you kind of, come on! You got to be kidding me. Another round of this? We've got to go through this again? Life seems almost too unbearable. You know what's interesting about this? Yahweh completely hears them. He remembers their lament. And response, God's Spirit gives Ezekiel a vision that speaks directly to their sense of desertion and their sense of death, a valley that's filled with dry bones. There's a place where death reigned. There wasn't any life. Not one speck of flesh on those bones. It was bleached by the sun. But God asks a question. It's a deep question. And he says, son of man, he's speaking to Israel, or to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And humanly, the answer clearly is what? No way. There's not a chance that these bones are going to live again. And I so appreciate the honesty in what Ezekiel says. He hears... As we hear him speak, we hear this uncertainty. I feel his sense of powerlessness. I picture him looking around and shaking his head at the overwhelming or enormity of it all. This whole valley that's full of dry bones. Will these live again? Oh, Lord. Only you know. In the midst of the death and the destruction... 
Even what we would say seems like a senseless death this week. We would say, oh God, what is it that you want to do in and through this? There are times in my life I I feel this overwhelming enormity of the fact that the valley is full of dead bones. And there are times when I look at myself and I feel in myself dryness and I feel in myself a distance from the God that I love. Oh God, I'm prone to wander. I can feel it. I'm prone to wander, to leave the God I love. I'm prone to sin. I'm prone to say things that I shouldn't say. And again and again, seek forgiveness. I'm guessing there's moments when you feel the same. Today, we're all Ezekiel. Ezekiel is in tune with God's absolute power over nature and nations. God, only you know whether you can do something with these bones. God, only you know. Only God can bring new life to dry bones and to a nation that looks like dry bones, that have lost all their hope, that feels cut off from God. God's going to do a miracle, and he's going to use two means to do it. He's going to use words and wind. He's going to use prophecy and breath. The word of God spoken by a man, and the spirit of God is going to blow upon those dry bones. And what we need to recognize is that in the midst of this, God is sovereign. Even though we don't understand it all, or we understand very little, God is still sovereign. And it is God who tells Ezekiel to prophesy. It is God who says he will breathe into the bones. And it's up to Ezekiel to prophesy and let God do what God does. And it is God who attaches tendons and makes flesh come upon the bones and covers the skeleton with skin. It is God who gives this new life. Ezekiel prophesies and the spirit breathes life. And as a result, a very strange thing begins to happen. You would even say that it's even a bit bizarre. To Ezekiel's eyes and to our ears, if you place yourself there, the bones rattle and they come together. The, attend, the tendons begin to attach bone to bone and muscle gives strength to the skeletons and skin covers all of those skeletons. And so we have these reconstructed bodies, but they aren't alive until Ezekiel prophesies again and the Spirit blows life into them. That which was once, that's which was once dry, and a vast army stands on their feet. What does this vision mean? Well, we could say this is a precursor to Jesus rising from the dead, coming out from the tomb. But that's not the meaning that God gives to this text. These bones are the whole house of Israel. This is not about the resurrection of, the, of individuals in the last day. It is about the restoration of Israel after the exile. And currently they feel dead. They feel like dry bones buried in the grave of Babylon. And note how God changes the imagery in verses 12 and 13. He says... You think that I have cut you off, that I am done with you because this terrible thing has happened to you. That's not true. 
He says, here is a picture, Israel. Even though you are, have been deported to Babylon, you think that it's been the end, but I want to just tell you, it's not the end. That I am writing the story. These dry bones will live again. You feel like you're cut off. That you feel like you're, you're done with. You feel like there's this terrible thing that's happened to you. I just want to tell you, I have this future for you. And it's accompanied by a promise. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I will settle you in your own land. Your dry bones will live again in the land of promise. Then you will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your covenant God, your sovereign Lord. Here is a message that will preach in a hopeless world. Where nations, churches, families, and individuals are drying up, dying slowly, and wondering, where's God in all of this? We live in uncertain times. And sometimes we place ourselves as we move further and further away from God and call out, where are you? But God in the midst of all of that draws near to us. I know how easy it is to focus on and despair over the number of the dry bones. Some of us would say we have lots of dry bones in our families, among our friends. The time of Lent is to say the dry bones are me. What are the dry bones? What are the dryness that I possess? But I know that in this passage of Scripture, there's great hope. It's not the final story of God and God's people. He's still writing this story. I don't know that you've read it or not. I've looked at the last chapter. We win. He's writing this story of hope. In that passage of Scripture, ten times, God promises to do something about the dry bones. He doesn't want to leave us in the valley of dry bones. Ten times. Read this passage again later this afternoon before you have fellowship with the mattress and fall asleep on your couch or wherever it is you do that. Read this passage again and let God speak to you. Out of the dryness, he wants to speak to you. Verse 5, he says, I will cause breath to enter you. These dry bones. Verse 6, I will lay tendons on you. Verse 6, I will cause flesh to come upon you. Verse 6, I will cover you with skin. Verse 6, I will put breath in you. These are his promises to the children of Israel. Verse 12, I am going to open your graves. Verse 12, I'm going to bring you up from the graves. Verse 12, I will bring you back to your land. Verse 14, I will put my spirit within you. And then verse 14, I will place you on your own soil. And sometimes it is that we need to be reminded in the midst of all the chaos and all the things that are taking us away from him that he has a plan and a future for us. That's what he says in this, in, in this passage. Ten times God promises life and wholeness. Ten times God promises return and a homecoming. Ten times God promises that the dry bones of this valley are not the final reality, that he is writing over the death and destruction, life and new life for anyone that will follow after him. So there's these ten promises, you shall live. 
And then God says it three times, and you shall live. Ezekiel 37. I love this passage. Verses 4 and 5. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you'll come to life. Who needs new life today? Then in verse 6. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Who needs to know that he's the Lord today? That he's the king over all things. Who needs to know that today? And then in verses 11 to 14, to finish up this portion, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, oh, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh my God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Verse 13, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. There's people here today who need to know that you can live. That you can run free. That in the midst of all that you're facing, he's the one that gives life. This picture that he gives is a picture and a promise that will help us to know that God is still Lord. He's still keeping covenant with his people. He's still sovereign over nature, nations, and even over death. This passage is not the end of the story. If anything, it's the beginning of his story. This is part of the unfolding of God's saving purposes in the history of, his wor- of the world. The history of God's work with his people is not done yet. And won't be until there's a new heaven and a new earth. For now, we remain in exile like Israel, still coping with the death of loved ones. Still mourning the loss of familiar ways to find and to meet God, but assured of God's presence. Those promises and reassurances are the path we walk in this valley. Remember God's promises. Remember God's reassurances. Can I encourage you this week, this day? I'd like for you to listen. Take time to listen. Get off your phone just for a minute. Stop looking at your phone and just listen. I'd like for you to listen for the rattle. For the rattle. The rattle of dry bones that are coming together. The rattle of all the things that are reconstructing one's body. And then I want for you to listen for the breath of God to blow into the hearts and the minds of individuals that have some time long ago have, va- have allowed their body to be vacated. They have, they have moved far away from God. And it may be that they don't even know that they're dry. But in a moment, God can breathe new life. That rattle that you'll be hearing, maybe in your own heart, in your own life, or maybe for someone around you, will be the sound of faith. It'll be the sound of hope. 
It'll be the sound of love. It'll sound like courage and the refusal to be, to be ruled by fear. It'll sound like patience, and it'll sound like gentleness, and it'll sound like compassion. It'll give you courage in the midst of all that you face. It'll give you courage to take another step. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, this is, this is your word. This is the word that you have for us today. You know what it is that you want to speak into the hearts and minds of individuals. We know what the message was to the children of Israel, and out of that valley of dry bones, you'd raise up individuals that would turn their hearts towards you in a way that they hadn't experienced for some time. And they would know again, afresh and anew, how awesome you are. In the midst of that dryness, your spirit came through and just breathed new life. Oh, how we desire that today. Thank you that Christ is still on the throne, that you still desire us. We love you this morning. We're thankful that you have not forsaken us. We are your people. We will always be your people. Come among us, we pray.